Did I ever tell you that I have this pipe dream of starting a food truck? No. That sounds like a horrible idea. It just looks miserable being in there. I mean, especially here in Texas, it's like 110 degrees outside. And it's like a grilled cheese food truck. You know, I'm like, really? Like you're going to send over a skillet inside of this airstream with no air conditioning. You don't have to stay in Texas at 110 degrees. You know, you could drive to, I don't know, up north, drive up here to Minneapolis. Yeah, but this is like the mecca of food trucks here. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. And thanks for joining us for Landmark episode number 80, eight zero. Uh, I am Reed Smith, joined as always by Chris Boyer. How's it going? Pretty good, Reed. Nice to talk to you today on the 80th episode. I wore number 80 when I played tight end in sixth grade football, matter of fact, for my uh, childhood hero, Wesley Walls. He was the uh, tight end at Ole Miss. Played in the NFL for some years. Wow. Uh, and then I wore other numbers. But anyway, number 80, very popular number. And here you are many years later, and we're back to the number 80. All roads lead back to 80. Thanks for joining us. Uh, touchpoint.health is the website. Please, please, please go out, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. That really is the best way to allow other people to find this wonderful content that you find valuable and that you listen to. So we certainly appreciate you doing that. Touchpoint.health, like we mentioned, is the website where you can check out uh, the show notes. Uh, you can check out all the other shows on the Touchpoint Network. Sign up for a newsletter. Sign up for the Insider. Absolutely. Best email you'll get all week. Every Monday you get this custom curated content from the show hosts of the Touchpoint Media Network. And we share with you some of the latest trends and stuff that's happening in healthcare. It's You might say it's the go-to email that you'll get every week. It's literally the best email you'll get. We're going to talk a little bit about telemedicine today, which I think is uh, is kind of interesting. So again, with the blurring of the line between the uh, the departments, you know, we're not the advertising department of old, so to speak. And so I think this is a really interesting topic to talk about. We've got a great interview with Dr. Justin Smith from Cook Children's coming up later in the episode. Uh, somebody that actually uses telemedicine on a daily basis. So uh, it'd be great to hear from him. Uh, but first, maybe let's uh, tip our hat to uh, one of our sponsors. That's right, Reed. Uh, you know, healthcare consumers want to know what other patients have to say, and they definitely pay attention to the number of stars behind a physician's name when they're looking online. So for health systems, embracing doctor reviews and star ratings is a win-win if you do it the right way. And that's where our, one of our sponsors, Loyal, they have an AI-driven platform that provides health systems with the tools they need to amplify patient feedback and guide patients through their entire digital journey. That's right. With its multidisciplined team of engineers, marketers, and data scientists, Loyal partners with the nation's leading health systems to promote patient feedback online. So here's what you do. As you're, if you're listening in, pause the podcast for a second. And jump on over to their website, LoyalHealth.com, to learn a little bit more about Loyal and maybe even schedule a demo. And when you do that, be sure to let them know that the Touchpoint podcast sent you that way. That's LoyalHealth.com. All right. Telemedicine. We know what that means, right? Is that a... <laughs> do we know what telemedicine means? It's medicine over the telephone, right? Is that, is that what that Basically, means? right? It's just, Yeah, it's calling your doctor when you're sick or calling the nurse. No, mm-hmm. it could be that, but it could be a lot more than that, too. I think the term telemedicine, telehealth, maybe even mHealth or, or other acronyms such as that are kind of encapsulated in this whole general concept around what telemedicine is. So we probably should get into and discuss a little bit about what it is, what kind of services are offered, you know, what are the ways that telemedicine is delivered nowadays. When you think about telehealth or or telemedicine, 
I guess those are kind of the same thing. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's not the same thing. When we really, or when I think about it, I guess it really has to do with it's how we've evolved, I guess, in healthcare because of the digital space. You know, I, I guess a way to provide remote care is that fair? We're providing care uh, to people that are not physically standing or sitting in front of us. Yeah, that that is a great way to generally kind of capture what that is. And when you talk about that, right, there's different ways to provide care. I went out to the American Telemedicine Association's website to really get a good understanding of how it's defined. Here are the different ways they say telemedicine is defined. First of all, it's by providing primary care and specialist referral services. That is providing like some kind of consultation through a Tele-device could be a, a computer, it could be a mobile phone, it could be an iPad or whatever it is, right? With right. a patient or a specialist and assisting that primary care physician or the attending doctor in helping to render a diagnosis. Yeah, and they even segment it with clinical services using the internet, which, okay, uh, wireless, satellite, satellite, do people have mm-hmm. satellites, and telephone <laughs> media, that's right. So uh, you could you could call in, and, and you see that a lot with health plans now, right? Like maybe you have Humana, or you've got you know whatever it is, or Blue Cross Blue Shield, or something, and you get like this like you know nurse hotline thing, or, or something like that, right? Or the second opinion service uh, in a lot of cases, and that's yeah, you know, that's technically telehealth. Now another way they d- that can be telehealth or telemedicine is with remote patient monitoring. You know, where you have like home telehealth devices or devices that remotely collect and send data to a home health agency or a remote diagnostic testing facility for interpretation. So you've heard about this before, right? Where uh, patients might be wearing a blood glucose monitor or a heart EKG, and it's actually sending data to a centralized source. And these people are sitting there just tracking to make sure that these patients that are at home are staying healthy, frankly, in providing intervention when needed. I'll be real honest and maybe a little embarrassed to say this. I've never once thought about telehealth or telemedicine as remote monitoring. I I think of it as the more active, you know, someone's sick, someone's talking to them. So when we think about that, whether it's uh, voice or voice along with the video capacity, uh, like you mentioned, iPads, for example, uh, you see school districts do this now as kind of an extension of you know the school nurse, if you will. That's really how I think of it. I've never once thought about it as um, you know remote monitoring being telehealth or telemedicine. It's interesting that the American Telemedicine Association defines it that way. They define another aspect of telemedicine this way, Reed. Consumer medical and health information, including the use of the internet and wireless devices for consumers to obtain specialized health information through online discussion groups or even providing peer-to-peer support. Hmm. I'm letting that sink in for a second. Still does not feel like telemedicine to me. But I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that, that meets the definition, obviously. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the expert here. So yeah, wow. Okay. This space is getting larger and larger by the minute. Uh, as we talk about this in, in my mind. These are like patient support groups online or closed Facebook groups where maybe you have, you know, a nurse that's moderating the discussion. Well, there's a lot of stuff that could fall into this. It could even be open forum groups where people just come, come together and talk about health or their disease or condition or something. And a nurse or a doctor kind of steps in and starts answering questions. So, a tweet chat. Possibly. I have executed on telehealth. Like, I'm a telehealth provider now, or telemedicine provider, because I've done a tweet chat. I don't know. That's that's probably a little bit of a stretch, but that is interesting to think about some of these third-party platforms being a part of your telemedicine or telehealth strategy. Well, let's open the tent a little bit wider, Reed, because there's one more thing that the American Telemedicine Association defines as a service offered by telemedicine, and that's medical education, you know, like CME information, credits for healthcare professionals, and special medical education seminars for targeted groups in remote locations. Okay. I think that's great. And I've actually helped. Uh, We've got some good friends uh, over at uh, Broadcast Med, for example, 
mm-hmm. that provides some of those types of services or the platform that provides those services that hospitals use and that kind of thing. I don't think about telemedicine being between providers. I'm still thinking about the kids got the flu and this is easier than going into the office, you know? And so that's a pretty rudimentary or simplistic way to think about this, I guess. You know, one of the first inter- intersections or interactions I've had with telemedicine in my when I was working in a hospital was about eight or nine years ago when I was working at uh, the health system in, in the D.C. area. And our telehealth program introduced remote behavioral health consultations through an iPad. Whenever someone would be admitted to an emergency department, before they could be discharged, if there was any suspicion that they had, you know, potentially had some kind of mental disorder or some kind of, you know, maybe even being on drugs or whatever, they had to have a consult with a mental health therapist, right? A behavioral psychologist or whoever. And in the olden days, it was like they would drive those people in. They'd have to meet and consult with them directly in the emergency department. Well, one of the first applications of telehealth that I actually interacted with is they were able to bring these people in through an iPad and have an iPad diagnosis. And that saved the company a lot of money. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. But that was a doctor to a doctor that's pulling that, that, that behavioral psychologist in for a uh, consultation. Cool. Okay. So primary care and specialist referral services, remote monitoring, consumer medical and health information, and then medical education between providers. So interesting. So yeah, this, so this space is growing uh, in my mind quite a bit <laughs> since we started the podcast. But let's talk about the mechanisms in which they're delivered. You mentioned a couple, right? Satellites and phones and things like that. The first one is networked programs. And this is exactly kind of what it sounds like, which is, you know, tertiary care hospitals and clinics with outlying clinics and community health centers in rural or suburban areas. And so linking those together. So you've got the kind of a hub and spoke, so to speak. And so you've got the main hospital and they're linking out to these rural health care centers or, you know, suburban hospitals or whatever it may be. Usually done through uh, what they say here, high speed lines or the Internet telecommunications between the sites. And you know, the uh, Telemedicine Association estimates the number of existing telemedicine networks in the United States at roughly 200 uh, providing connectivity to over 3000 sites. So kind of 200 networks. 3,000, you know, access points, if you will. Absolutely. And I know some health systems that that's actually a service that they sell to other health systems, right? They're basically offering the network in which to communicate with some remote uh, facilities. Another is through point-to-point connections, using private high-speed networks by hospitals and clinics to deliver services directly or outsource specialty services to independent medical service providers, Maybe you don't have a pediatric cardiologist in your remote community, but you can have a point-to-point connection with a hospital, like sort of a relationship that you built, and have that person now come in as a teleconsult. And a lot of times that's done with a combination of a teleconsult and then that, that pediatric cardiologist or whatever that specialist is maybe flies in once a week or even once a month, depending on the need of that community. Sure, even once a quarter for that matter. And we see that a lot around Texas, obviously. Some of the big towns, Dallas, Houston, uh, San Antonio, even Austin, uh, you're going out and seeing clinics in these outlying communities around the state and things like that. So the next is uh, monitoring centers. So you, you go back to, if you look at the services offered, we talked about the remote patient monitoring. Well, that's kind of where this comes in. Uh, used for cardiac, pulmonary, fetal monitoring, even home care related services, you know, that provide, you know, care to patients in the home. So this is typically done if, if historically, as we think about this, which is kind of funny uh, about landline, <laughs> landline is still a thing. Uh, wireless connections uh, are used to communicate directly between the patient and the center. Um, and so, again, you know, kind of home based monitoring type solutions. And a lot of long-term care facilities or, or organizations that build retirement communities, they have these kind of built now in as they're building out these facilities where they anticipate the older population is going to retire and will need some kind of monitoring. That's kind of now being built into the into the actual apartments. I've seen some facilities that even have iPads that are kind of built into the walls that can be used for remote monitoring. That's kind of cool. Little known but effective way is carrier pigeon. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> telepigeon is what we like to call it in the telepigeon. <laughs> but yeah, so I, you know, this is again. So we've talked about point-to-point connections, which are like between locations. This is obviously between the patient uh, and a center. So. And then lastly, web-based e-health patient service sites that provide direct consumer outreach and services over the internet. Under telemedicine, these include sites that provide direct patient care. What we think of as traditional telehealth or telemedicine, these platforms where you can deliver this, Teladoc or Zipnosis or others like this, that provide these inherent platforms that are just basically a, a network itself that's designed to, you can buy for a certain amount of money, you can pay for a visit directly. This is more along the lines of what I think comes to mind when you think of telemedicine in mm-hmm. a lot of cases, right? Because again, it's offered via maybe your employer, maybe it's the health plan that you're subscribed to or that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Or it could even just be an app you download and you pay some set fee per, you know, just out of pocket per uh, encounter. And, you know, and it could be you're, you're consulting with a doctor or a nurse. And like, like you said, later on, we're going to be talking to a physician that actually is part of one of these programs. And these are offered, by the way, not only by a health system directly to the consumer, it could be offered by a business, for, for example, they're buying into this network, right? And they're saying, this is a value add, sort of like an employee benefit that we have. Or you can even get it through insurance company like a Blue Cross Blue Shield or may I say with this insurance package, you also have access to this network site. We've talked a lot to at this point about what what is it? What is telemedicine? The service is offered via telemedicine and how they are ultimately then delivered. And maybe let's pivot a little bit to the benefits. So what what's, you know, why do we even have telemedicine? What's the point of it, right? Well, I think one of the ones is one that you've brought up a lot, Reed. You want to be able to to not have to wait forever to see people um, to, when you call your doctor. So improved access. Yeah, improved access, whether that be uh, I live in a little bitty remote town in Texas, you know, and it's just uh, I can't drive five hours uh, to the closest big city uh, to see a physician. Uh, or maybe it's those checkup appointments in between the big appointment, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, improve, improved access for sure. It's not only that, right? It could also be used as a way to, let's let's say, for example, you don't want to take time off of work. You think you're sick, but you're not really sure. So you could check in, right, with with someone online and get, get sort of like a pre-diagnosis before saying, oh, okay, now I have to take a half a day off at work to go meet the doctor or whatever. And the same is true, like, you know, in the morning you wake up and your, your child is sick. And you just want to do a really quick check with your doctor um, before you have to actually recalendar your entire day to make sure we can get the, the, your child to a doctor. And, and even even along those lines, um, you know, the couple of times a year that uh, you get say you have a cold or the flu or whatever it is. Right. I mean, it's not we're, we're not talking about something you know, super. You, know, you didn't break your arm. You know, you're not using telehealth for a broken arm, but you get you get the flu or your kid's sick or something like that. Well, would you rather use telemedicine or go somewhere where everyone else is sick? You know, especially with like newborn children, you have well checks, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, could you do those via telemedicine? Because I don't want to take a otherwise healthy six-week-old into a doctor's office full of a bunch of sick people. Like that doesn't seem like a great idea. And plus, I don't want to go in there. What's interesting is how um, actually the website defines improved access. They're actually defining it in terms of improved access for organizations to get their care out to a larger group of people. We've been talking a lot about it from the benefits of the consumer. What's interesting is there also is in a way kind of the reverse is that improved access allows patients to access physicians in a much broader context too. So it can actually help with maybe your panel levels. It can ha- actually help a physician reach more patients with their care. Uh, everything about access, I-, I think, speaks to telemedicine. Absolutely. Okay, another one though, Reed, is cost efficiencies. Reducing or containing the cost of healthcare is one of the most important reasons for funding and adopting telehealth technologies. Time has shown over and over again that a good telehealth technology program or a good telemedicine program can help to reduce the cost of delivering care. It probably builds off the idea of access, right? When you start thinking about you know reducing cost, 
uh, by being more efficient. Uh, a lot of that is via management of chronic diseases, as they state. You know, shared health professional staffing, reduced travel times, you know, fewer, shorter hospital stays. Yeah, you don't have to keep the lights on until, you know, midnight at your clinic that's in the community. You can actually deliver care remotely from a centralized place that's going to be open 24-7, right? So you're going to save costs in terms of delivering care as a health system. You know, and I even saw estimates, read of uh, one study was done that a good telemedicine program could estimate up to a 30% reduction in the cost of employee care. So if you're a business that offers telemedicine, you're saving money too because your employee care is, uh, there's a reduction in the overall care that you're spending as a business to support your employees' health. And probably get back to work quicker, right? I mean, this, this was the whole trend around doing, you know, occupational medicine on site at large employers with equipment and, and things that they use in their daily job, you know, to get them back to work that much sooner and more effectively. So very, very similar scenario. Uh, number three is improved quality. Uh, so say, they say studies have shown uh, that the quality of healthcare services delivered via telemedicine are as good as those given in person. In some specialties, particular, particularly in mental health, you know, telemedicine delivers a superior product with greater outcomes and patient satisfaction. So I don't know why, you know, talking to me on the phone or seeing me what in essence is a FaceTime, you know, communication uh, is, is really all that different. Um, now, I think, you know, some of this is as, you know, productized in the consumerization of, of some of these tools have become where you can use your iPhone to look in your ear and, you know, take pictures of your throat and, you know, using these little clip-on, you know, kind of magnifying glasses uh, for all practical purposes, uh, then, yeah, I mean, I think you can. I think there is still a little bit of a runway on that. Let's weigh it with this. Not every type of disease state or every type of condition is good to be treated through telemedicine. But in the cases of, you know, all of the things where you're where diagnosing flus or maybe looking at, you know, to see if your child has chicken pox or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. are things that you can really uh, be much more effective, save your overall time and give you really great quality, if not improving the quality because you can access it that much quicker. You don't have to wait forever to, to see the doctor. And I think that that really leads to sort of one other benefit, which we've kind of been talking about all throughout this, which is patient demand. Patients are starting to want, consumers are starting to want telemedicine. And really, these technologies help in so many ways. We've talked about all the ones about convenience and about improved access and well, maybe it's not cost effective, so to speak, because there's typically a charge associated with using telemedicine, at least in many of the cases that I've seen. But still, you know, I think that overall that consumers and patients are starting to expect that more and more as our familiarity with Internet technologies, technologies help. We, we have people that, that want this. They want convenience. Uh, they do everything else via technology in their life. You know, so why should this be should be any different? Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. There are drawbacks, and so maybe let's um, you know let's look at the opposite side of the coin. We just talked about some of the benefits. You know, I think the most most common one would be, and we've kind of danced around this a little bit, but if it's something that's super visual, then sure, yeah, te- telemedicine w- would work. But if you're needing a consultation where they need to listen to your lungs, take blood, uh, listen to your heart, perform any sort of a medical test. You know, it's not a great fit. Now, are there ways that you could do some of those things uh, via telemedicine? Yes, yes, there is. But just, you know, you're not going to download an app. But 
perfused sinus, you know, uh, you think of things like pink eye, skin problems, prescribing medications. Yeah, telemedicine, you know, fits in that wheelhouse a little bit better, but it's not perfect for everything. There's more and more technology coming on, you know, on board. I with I know now my Apple Watch can keep track of my blood pressure and I'm sure like we talked about Apple phone apps and you know it, we're getting to learn a little bit more about us and you know and so as more and more technology comes on board maybe that would start to shift and change but right now a teleconsult is not appropriate for everything. The other drawback is Oftentimes, when you're talking to doctors through a telehealth or a telemedicine program, they may not know you. They may not be your regular doctor that you see. They may be a group of other doctors that this is what they do. They're dedicated to this. It might not be the primary care doctor that you go to time and time again. They may not have access to your all of your medical record information. They may not be able to get into Epic and pull all your PHI. And a, a lot of times, too, telehealth is offered through like an employer plan, employer health plan. And that may be a whole different set of doctors than who you normally go to. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you've got a relationship with a physician, um, you know, you're probably less or maybe a little more turned off on the idea of like, well, now I'm somebody that doesn't know me. I mean, it's bad enough walking in an urgent care clinic and, it's, and you feel like you have to regurgitate your life's history when you know for a fact the kid has an ear infection because you've been swimming and, you know, this <laughs> kind of a thing, you know, it's that scenario. It's just not, not comfortable maybe uh, to some folks. Um, and then finally, the, the last drawback um, is the financial one in some cases. So uh, your state medical board may make it difficult, if not impossible, to have a telemedicine consultation, you know, to get reimbursed for one. While all the states have policies in place, um, and this will this one will probably change over time, right? Um, you know, if it's through an app and it's $10, you're probably like, eh, I'm, I'm it's not really worth my time to try to get reimbursed this $10 or whatever it is. Right. But if it's hundreds of dollars and you're trying to, you know, get that reduced to where maybe you're just having to pay your copay or something that can be problematic uh, from just a reimbursement standpoint. Also, they have 50, 50 states have 50 different telemedicine policies. So there's not even consistency in the type of care that's being delivered. I mean, assumptively, they are following Mm -hmm. protocols for care, but it's not the same, right? And so you could buy a telemedicine program that is only applicable for uh, one state. And you have to get licensure if you're going to practice telemedicine in multiple different states. And that's sometimes very hard for uh, a telemedicine program to do. Yeah, it is. And they say that the American uh, Telemedicine Association uh, only grades five states in A when talking about these policies. Um, So if you live in Maine, New Hampshire, New Mexico, Tennessee, or Virginia, good news. Uh, But if you live in Connecticut or Rhode Island, which no one lives in Rhode Island, I'm convinced literally no one lives in Rhode Island. (laughs) Those two states in particular get an F. And so I don't know exactly what that means, but the point being is that there's 50 different policies. So again, from a reimbursement standpoint, it's not that straightforward. I mean, we've talked about a lot of things here with telemedicine. It's like, this is uh, this is why we're calling it the telemedicine tell-all, right? Yeah. So there was a conference that just happened last May, and, and they talked about a number of trends that were going on. Let's just go through some of the trends that they're seeing in the, in the business. The first is vendor consolidation. The level of merger and acquisition activity among telehealth vendors over the past year is, as they call it, unprecedented. Driven by consolidation and late-state capitalization, there are a few industry leaders that are merging to be the direct-to-consumer and provider-to-provider telehealth verticals, and they're becoming fewer and fewer. And maybe that's a good thing because then it'll standardize care. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if vendor consolidation is good in all cases. Um, in this particular case, it could be because it, it does create some level of consistency, I guess. I don't know. Or, or could, I guess. Secondly, they talk about the clinical use cases and capabilities moving upstream. So they say even just two years ago, most of these direct consumer telehealth services were limited to what you would, what probably popped in your mind, much like mine, when you first hear telemedicine or telehealth, which is more of what you think of that urgent care, primary care, I've got the flu, you know, pink eye kind of a, kind of a scenario. And, and even just less frequently, uh, potentially behavioral health. Now, 
they're starting to see more complex cases. Um, so you're seeing things um, like dermatology, oncology, cardiology, uh, and even endocrinology uh, with support of connected devices, of course, in a lot of those cases. But we're starting to see telehealth move upstream relative to complexity. You know, and a number of episodes ago, we interviewed uh, a gentleman who was talking about chatbots being used in this capacity, too. So get mm-hmm. this, chatbots are a telemedicine tool. Ooh, nice. I like it. Good examples from non-traditional provider organizations. One of the things they're seeing is that across the world, different people that are providing uh, care are using telemedicine in interesting ways. They highlighted in this conference a large provider group in Brazil that recently introduced an urgent care telemedicine program that significantly reduced avoidable emergency department utilization and achieved a 97% patient satisfaction rating. We'll link to the use case in uh, the show notes where you can learn a little bit more about that. But the point is, these examples of trying to solve a particular business initiative really lends itself to the application of telemedicine in new and interesting ways. So this use case in Brazil is now being... There are organizations prototyping that here in the United States. Very cool. Very cool. And and finally, the fourth uh, big trend is one that, uh, of course, has made tons of headlines and we've even mentioned, but is is, uh, big tech coming in. So Amazon, the Amazon Berkshire Hathaway announcement, Apple, Google, et cetera, all making a significant play into healthcare. You know, we expect them to build some sort of a platform, uh, whatever that means. I'm not really sure. Capabilities, et cetera, yet to be determined. I would assume you look at like Amazon, for example, with the Alexa platform and Apple uh, has the has the home, whatever they call that thing, HomePod or whatever. And Google, of course. And so you've got a lot of voice activation and we've talked about voice search and some of those types of things. And so, you know, your money would be that they're going to make a play into the telehealth space along with, you know, just more of a quote unquote platform play, I guess. It makes sense. I mean, after all, isn't Amazon's uh, Alexa device really a home care device? Is that not just a telemedicine device waiting to be uncovered? It is. I mean, and I've seen a lot of a lot of conversations and had conversations with folks that have, have mapped out this idea that you wake up, you don't feel good. You know, you say, Alexa, I don't feel well. And then your doctor pops up on your TV and they go, oh, yeah, OK, well, we'll call you. In. You know, and then Amazon delivers via drone your medicine, you know, one of those deals. Right. So and you haven't finished your coffee yet. So that's maybe a little utopian, but that's kind of what I would assume a lot of the conversations inside these companies sound like. Well, and that just goes to show you how big of a tent the definition of telemedicine is. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website, but, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! Okay, Reed, let's face off on this particular topic. We've been talking about telemedicine, and one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is are good telemedicine programs created initially within the hospital provider setting, or 
these outside tech giants and these outside consumeristic giants coming in, do they have a better grasp on how to deliver better telemedicine experience? What are your thoughts on that? I don't think so. I mean, I I know from a technology standpoint that seems to, to resonate or make sense. I just think, you know, folks coming in from outside of the healthcare ecosystem are going to focus on the wrong things. I feel like there's got to be people at the table leading the charge that are delivering the care and involved in that process to really understand, you know, what the need is, what's practical, what can be done, what can't be done, you know, that kind of thing. I totally agree with you that you need to have healthcare providers in there, setting the care pathways, helping to develop the type of services that you're providing through these platforms. But I think you're going to get it wrong if you have them leading the charge, because quite frankly, the benefits of telemedicine is that it's a new delivery mechanism for care. And if we start to build telemedicine initiatives with a provider mindset or a, or a, you know, a hospital system mindset, what we're going to do is start to deliver a very bad patient experience, except now this time it's going to be through a phone or a tablet or a website. I think you're getting it wrong. I mean, you said they're going to be focusing on the wrong things, but experience is one of the benefits that telemedicine can provide. So I, I actually think that the outside people should be developing the overall experience. Yeah, but I can't come up with a single example from somebody outside that worked. They've all made a play into this historically with Google Health Vault or Microsoft, whatever they were. I, I, Microsoft and Google did whatever they did. I don't remember what it was called. <laughs> and it's funny because you, you take somebody like Google and like the only relevant use case for their Google Glass was healthcare and they shut it down. So I, these just aren't the right folks to lead that charge. You know, do they have knowledge, ecosystem, know-how? Yeah, but, you know, somebody's going to have to lead that from inside of healthcare. Look, first of all, we talked about this before. Google Glass is coming back in healthcare. I'm just going to refer you back to an earlier episode where we talked about that. Secondly, I'm thinking about things like FaceTime or the app platforms, right? The, the iTunes app, like app network or Google Play, these are things that weren't developed inside of healthcare. They were developed outside of healthcare. And the whole point was is to make this little device that you keep in your pocket or the little device you keep on your bedside table that much more accessible and easier for you to, to interact with. They also work on the design, the interfaces. They made it that much simpler that all you need to do is press your finger on a, one little part of your screen and this thing springs to life. These are the things that are going to make telemedicine work that much better. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you don't have to have doctors help provide the care pathways and be there to help support that. But all of the things that patients need, the access, the convenience, the quickness, all of those things that you want, that came from outside of healthcare, not from within. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I agree. I do agree. I think the problem with a lot of the big tech companies is seeing something all the way through. Now, it works when they're building it for themselves. So then it just turns into, do we then adapt that for healthcare or is it built from the ground up? Stuff that's been built from the ground up has historically always come from within healthcare. And with as much money as in healthcare right now, for folks outside of healthcare, not building stuff. I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know where that ends, but I do, I do feel like, I mean, you're right. I mean, I, I don't know that we can build it inside of, in quote unquote, inside of healthcare the way you know, we think we can. I think it is going to require probably somebody. Well, what's Apple's worth a trillion dollars now or something? Yeah. So I mean, what they can throw 50 billion at this, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's nothing. And they probably are. <laughs> and we just don't even know about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm very comforted to, to hear that finally, after 80 episodes of us going back and forth, that you finally are acknowledging that I'm right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right-ish. Um, I, still, I still feel like, you know, 
Google Glass is just a black guy, no pun intended, but <laughs> or pun intended, I don't know, something. All right, we're back with the ask the expert portion of the podcast, and today very fortunate to be uh, joined by Dr. Justin Smith from Cook Children's up in Fort Worth. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. Yeah, it's nice and rainy here today, which is a nice break for us. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know we had a little bit of rain last night, uh, and for those that listen, uh, I think most everybody understands that, that I live outside of Austin, Texas, and so we're. Uh, somewhat in the same geographical region, but yes, yeah, the first rain we've had, and and I'm not sure when, and uh, it's like in the 80s outside, which is like a cold snap. Yeah, it's like practically frigid out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for coming on. You've been on before, but for those that uh, maybe uh, are newer listeners or don't remember, maybe give just a little bit of your background, kind of what you do on a day to day basis. Yeah, so um, I'm a pediatrician at um, Cook Children's uh, here, which is a large uh, health system in Fort Worth, where we have a broad network of primary care, specialty, hospital, home health, all the different services you could imagine. But I work in our with our primary care world, and then also serve on the social media on the public relations team as sort of a digital advisor for. Uh, our um, medical content. And then my newest, but not really new role is I'm the director of primary care innovation for the health system. So I think about all things, how different ways we could engage with the patients, how we could use technology to enhance our relationship with patients and how to try to keep it out of the way, like so much of our innovation in healthcare and, and technology has seemed seem to get in the way of, of patient engagement. So I try to leverage technology to make it make our relationships better. Chris and I talk a lot about obviously patient experience and engagement and those types of things. And we've, we've talked a number of times on this episode and other episodes about uh, the blurring of the lines of the marketing department, especially when you talk about experience. Now we're getting into quality. We're getting into ITNS. We're getting into these other areas of the organization where historically we've been a little more siloed and marketing has really been about advertising, you know, and it, and it hasn't been so much about, you know, these other components of the system. And so I think it's interesting as we talk about how that's evolved, we start talking about physicians involvement and we talk about things that the health system offers. And, and of course, today we're talking about telemedicine. You know, what's been your experience, I guess, the evolution of technology that you've kind of been uh, introduced to through the years, kind of, kind of bringing you up to where you are now? Yeah, no, I mean, initially, my role as director of primary care innovation came about because they came around a few years ago and said, we'd really like to open up patient scheduling, let patients book appointments online. And they weren't getting anybody who was willing to say yes. And they came to me and I said, well, sure, let's try it. And they're like, okay, well, do you want two appointments in the morning and two appointments in the afternoon? I was like, no, let's just turn it on and see what happens. Like, what could go wrong if they overbook me tomorrow? Then we'll turn it off for for Tuesday. Like, what? Who? What does it matter? And to me, that just seems so obvious. But I, I guess it was, you know, it was just surprising to them. And so they said, "Well, we maybe we should give this guy a place where he can." think and try new things. And so with my role, I, you know, I was able to, um, they offered me a, a clinic where I, you know, was able to kind of build from the ground up, you know, even for starting from that as simple as that. And then it's kind of melded into the next thing that I sort of uh, asked them for and, and leaned into was allowing patients to message me directly through the portal. So that was a couple of years ago. And, you know, of course, all the fears of, oh, people are going to contact you all the time and send you all this crazy stuff. And, it's, you know, you're going to leave dangerous kids out there who are having difficulty breathing, you're not addressing them. And just none of that stuff happens. You know, I mean, I address things pretty quickly. Parents are very appropriate about when they use it and for the reasons that they use it. And so then after that, sort of the next thing came was telemedicine. And so I've been offering telemedicine to my established patients um, for a little bit over a year now. And we now have the capability to see really anybody in the state of Texas through telemedicine through my office. And I think quick on the heels of that will be, um, you know, the, the capability uh, to set up a true like virtual urgent care model, if you want to put it that way, where we do have multiple provi providers providing care, you know, pretty much 24 hours a day. But that's kind of, I think, how things are going to evolve over time. 
Does everybody understand what telemedicine is? Or are you finding there's a misnomer around what they expect that to be? Yeah, I mean, I think parents or our patients understand to some degree, like what a virtual um, visit is, you know, I think it's still the usage is not huge. And I don't know if that has to do with the fact that I am in pediatrics and perhaps parents are a little more cautious about trying new things or, or would just prefer to have their child seen in person. But when we talk to vendors and talk to other places who are doing this, you know, they are seeing their usage ramp up. And so ours has been a little bit slower. So I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it just means that we need to work better on the model or if that means that pediatrics is a different place, you know, and I, I think that's something that we still need to learn. Well, along those lines, uh, do you have any real insights into demographics? I mean, obviously being in pediatrics, I would assume the the use uh, the usage and the demographic skews uh, obviously to younger adults because that's who typically has kids although we're seeing obviously probably the the age of mom and dad you know creeping up over the last you know ten or fifteen or twenty years or whatever it is is there a demographic of folks that uses telemedicine uh, I guess in a higher rate I mean I think the the classic answer is that well it's you know the young millennial who's uh, traveling or busy and and doesn't have a primary care doctor. And that that's definitely true. And that group is using telemedicine. But I, I don't think we could sh- we should shy away from the fact that it's not restricted to any one age group. And I everything I see shows that one of the fastest growing groups is our over 65 age group who are using it. And so as people get more and more familiar with technology in general, and we're seeing that group do so, it's only natural that they would have every incentive to want to use it and maybe not want to get out and go out to the doctor if it's something that could be handled from home. So you know, I think we we probably should just be careful about pitching hold into any one group. Uh, but I think the early adoption was in that younger age group, but that, I don't think that's going to hold true forever. I think the benefits of telemedicine are, are probably, I guess, logical or, or you know, people probably understand that to some degree. There's the convenience piece, right? Like I don't have to drive across town or uh, you know, it's it's just easier. Uh, also, kind of as uh, akin to that, you know, you're not getting introduced to other illnesses potentially by going into an office that has other people that are sick in the same office. You know, one of those types of things. And so, but outside of the convenience piece, what's the upside for maybe the physician? in the health system. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of those things where I am, you know, after having done it for a little bit, starting to realize like, I think when, when most people think about telemedicine, they're talking about just urgent care, answer a question. And and the, really the use cases where telemedicine is a huge benefit in that are fairly limited in terms of what I've found is that my patient sending me messages and doing it in an asynchronous way, I can answer a big chunk of their remote questions without adding that video component and having to take time out of my schedule during the day. And so I'm almost more excited to do that messaging day to day, which I think technically probably is telemedicine. It's just not in the virtual visit video kind of way. But that is, for me, almost more exciting at this point. Now, that said, there are some benefits. So for the physician, because it, it drops right into my schedule, just like any other visit, it doesn't have that benefit of not, you know, it still takes up the time of a visit. It's not saving me a whole lot of time. The main benefit is that my if my patients use it and enjoy it, well, that's huge for me because that's ultimately, you know, one of our big goals is to be sure that their experience is what it needs to be. And giving parents that option to choose is important as well. What I do see, like from a health system perspective, and we're starting to talk about, you know, maybe for our covered lives, whether for our health plan or for our employees and like giving them a cheaper option. Well, then all of a sudden, from an employer perspective, there is a cost savings that actually makes sense and, and starts to, to be a different incentive. But that's very different from a physician, physician perspective, because for me, it's actually I don't make as much money as I would make if they came in. Um, and so if it's displacing an in-person visit, then it's not. I'm not saving time and I'm not actually generating any extra revenue um, if it's done during my my typical business hours. But again, like I think that's when you have to make a decision that like and and I've always tried to do this, like nickel and diming my patient for every 
sit is not really the right way to build a solid practice and a practice that patients enjoy and go to. So if I'm providing them an option, even if it's cheaper, even if it does take up some time, I have to trust that they'll go tell two other friends and, and, and that I'll get some more checkups and some more illnesses out of the people they tell because I'm, I'm willing to offer things that are, that are more convenient for them. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. And, and I think from the healthcare uh, system as a whole, you know, I like to use Texas as an example because it's so vast. It breaks down these geographical barriers. You know, it allows uh, subspecialists and certain levels of expertise into, you know, towns and areas of the state that, that typically would not have a physician of that caliber of that specialty. Yeah, that, that's a different use case. And that's something that we have been doing as a system for a long time. And we have remote clinics now in Abilene, um, Tyler, Waco. You know, we have several. There's, I think there's a couple more all over the state um, where our specialists are seeing patients not, you know, they're not required to drive four, five, six, eight hours to see the specialist that they need. Um, they're able to do a lot of their care um, much closer to their home. And that is a huge and different benefit from telemedicine than that sort of direct to consumer patient at home model. Like in addition to that, you know, we've been able at Cook to develop a couple of other service lines that I think have really are really interesting use cases for telemedicine. And, um, you know, of course, and we're not the first to do this by any means, but we've been doing school based telemedicine now and our program has significantly expanded. We did a few pilots last year, but we'll be up upwards of close to 75 schools this year and having districts contact us every day. And basically that's a way for a student to go to the school nurse the school nurse to be able to present the student to a provider. Um, we have a nurse practitioner who's seeing those patients full time um, now, and I provide backup for her. And, um, you know, they can do strep and flu screens and everything else right there in the office. And so that the child doesn't have fever, doesn't have a condition which excludes them from being at school, um, they can spend, you know, 30 minutes getting their visit done and be back in class and mom and dad can stay at work. Um, and it's just a huge benefit all over, all around for everybody involved. So that's that's a different use case that I think is similar to that to that specialty and, and similar in, in structure to providing expertise at places that wouldn't necessarily have access to it. But what's the downside? I mean, you know, this all sounds great. Uh, I don't know why anybody wouldn't do this. Uh, I mean, this is outside of my my wheelhouse, obviously, but. With all technology, there's there's typically some hurdles here and there, and, and, and you know growing pains. But what what have you seen, or what kind of what are your thoughts um, as this has evolved? Yeah, I mean, I think like I kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier, but I think the physician to patient at home direct telemedicine. I do think probably the biggest downside is the use the usefulness of it in terms of how broad can it be used in that urgent care setting, like how much could I just do by phone or just do by um, message? And then I don't have all the hurdles of like, well, they have enough bandwidth at their house to where I can get a good connection and can I get it? You know, all those things that I have to figure out. Um, I don't have to worry about all that with some of those other modalities. And can I service 85% of their questions with those um, that don't require Require jumping all over all those technical hurdles, and then the last ten percent, the other ten percent that I can do via telemedicine, and then there's five percent that need to be seen in person anyway. Um, you know, and so it's like navigating those um, different scenarios and making sure that the patient's getting the right care at the right time. I think is probably one of the biggest hurdles. And I think there's also just still in the physician community, there's still a significant number of physicians who just don't believe it's the right way to practice medicine. I mean, I disagree with that, but I see where they're coming from. You know, they're, they're seeing where maybe a third party vendor who's they're, uh, you know, they're basically reliant upon everything. Their whole business model is reliant upon that convenience model. And so then perhaps maybe over prescription becomes an issue or uh, providing care for conditions that may be better suited to be seen in person becomes a concern because for us in the primary care world, when we have the backup of like, well, I know I could just bring the patient in to see me, but if you're just providing care to whomever and you don't have that relationship, I think there's higher risk there for some of those things. And so, you know, I think we still have a mindset to overcome. And I still think even from a health system perspective, like we're still geared to think that the best way to make money is to get the patient into your hospital or into your urgent care or whatever. And so that idea that like, oh, we're going to shift to where we're not bringing patients to us anymore. That's that's sometimes harder to overcome than you think it would be. 
That makes total sense. Well, you know, the, the, the vast majority of the, uh, the audience that listens to this podcast are obviously marketing, communication uh, professionals, some of the folks in IT and S, that kind of thing. How can they participate in this within their organization? So telemedicine is a thing. It's being tried, used, piloted, whatever you want to call it, in, in various capacities, depending on their organization size and, you know, the history and all that kind of good stuff. But what what does a marketing professional do with this? How, how do they work with you guys? Yeah, number one, I mean, I, and I always advocate for this for most of the things that we do is trying to get someone from marketing involved early on, I think is really important. And so if you're a marketer who has that capability or has a system that will listen to you and get you involved early, I would strongly suggest that they be at the table early. And it, even if it comes down to like, what do our families want? Like a lot of times they're the people who have their finger on the pulse of that more than the administrator at the hospital, even more than the physician, like the, the marketer is talking to people all day long and can get some sense of like, what do they need? What hours should we you know, have these things available? What types of service lines do we need to think about expanding out in a virtual context? So that being involved early on, even just thinking about what should be offered is important. And then, you know, along the pathway is just helping to shape. And even if it's just as simple as like an email, I just got a minute ago is like, Hey, what should we call this thing? You know, like what, what would be the name? What should be the name of our virtual urgent care? Like, because that, that has a significant importance. And if you're just relying on an administrator and doctor to come up with it, you're likely to, to miss the mark. Even along the way, just making sure that the brand and the hospital is on point in terms of what they're saying about what this is going to be used for and how it could be useful. Like those are things that you need a marketer, you need a communicator to do so. Um, and so having someone involved all throughout the process, I think, is really critical. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. I think it's encouraging for, for marketing folks to hear that there is a role for them in telehealth. I, I think we as marketing professionals hear a lot here I'm using air quotes here. A lot of these uh, terms get thrown around, whether it's blockchain or telehealth or, you know, whatever the new uh, new focus is, uh, artificial intelligence. And some of them focus in, in, in we have more of a logical or perceived role in than others. And so it's always good to hear, especially from folks uh, like you and other physicians, that there is a role for marketing Man, I really appreciate the time. I think this is great. For those that would like to connect with you and uh, visit with you more, what, what's the best way for them to do that? How can they track you down online? So probably the best way is to find me on uh, Twitter. And there my handle is the Doc Smitty. And we'll have uh, links to all this in the show notes. Justin, I appreciate it. It's always great to have you on and look forward to uh, having you again uh, in the future. Well, that sounds great. I'm happy to anytime. All right, wrapping up another successful episode, episode 80 on telemedicine slash telehealth, whatever you want to, however you want to refer to that. Uh, special thanks to uh, Dr. Justin Smith up at Cook Children's for the insights, <laughs> for, for, for coming on and actually being someone that actually uses the technology. Uh, it was super <laughs> helpful, but no, really appreciate him. Uh, be sure to connect with him online. Uh, again, we'll have links in the show notes. He's a super smart dude. Uh, very active on Twitter, so I'd encourage you to go follow him. Appreciate him doing that. Before we get to recommendations, we've got a couple of things coming up. We've got three three places. Is that right? Three places you can find us in the fall? As three far, conferences. As far as in person is concerned, is that right? That's right. Rather than just hearing us every week coming in through your ear pods, you can actually meet us in person and talk to us at three different events. The first is the Atlas Conference, Read, which is sponsored by Kairos. It's a patient experience conference, yep. uh, patient access and experience conference. And that one is at the Renaissance Boston Waterfront Hotel from October 15th through the 17th. And we have a deal for people that might want to come to that conference, don't we? Yes, we do. So if you happen to work at a hospital, if you're a hospital executive, you can use the discount code. You can sign up for the conference. Use the discount code TOUCHPOINT50. That's TOUCHPOINT50 for 50% off your registration fee. Yep. That's a great deal. Yep. Go to atlas, atlasconference.com. 
and to learn out more about that conference and then use that that special code touchpoint50 there you go so look forward to seeing you there let us know if you're going to make it uh, after that we will be at the healthcare internet conference uh, out in the great state of Arizona is that right yeah Scottsdale Arizona mm-hmm. for those of you who are not familiar with the healthcare internet conference it's an annual conference sponsored by Greystone and it covers a lot of topics that we talk about in our in our uh, weekly show here. Yep. But uh, go out to hcic.net to learn more about that. I will be there as part of a panel speaking session. And Reed and I will both be there. We'll be recording a podcast and also just generally walking the conference room floor and talking to all of the people that we know and that are going to be there. That's right. That's right. And then finally, a week later is the annual Mayo Clinic Social Media Network Conference. Uh, this year is going to be uh, their Jacksonville, Florida campus. So they rotate it between their three campuses this year. Going to be hitting home at the Omni Hotel in Jacksonville, Florida, November 14th and 15th. Uh, is the conference. I'm really excited to see Susanna Fox, who is going to be one of the keynote speakers there. Uh, I've enjoyed mm-hmm. following her research for some time. And so that, that looks to be a good event. And if you're interested, if you're new into the space, there will be a residency the day prior on November the 13th. But anyway, you can find out more about that, socialmedia.mayoclinic.org. Uh, again, links in the show notes. Uh, what do you have for a recommendation today? Well, Reed, I'm going to recommend something that I have, over the last year, I've become a really big fan of. So working in a hospital, going to meetings, I go to a lot of meetings. Uh, One thing that I find that um, is very valuable for me to have is a notebook where I could take notes and, you know, when we're talking to people or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm also a kind of person that doesn't just write things down. I like to draw sketches and I like to do little boxes and all these various different things. And I found a notebook that just meets my needs perfectly. It's the Maruman Nemosyne, M-N-E-M-O-S-Y-N-E, the N180 Imagination Notebook. So get this. It's A4 size. Do you know what an A4 size notebook is? Yeah, it's, it's a little smaller, right? It's Well, it's a little bit smaller and a little bit wider, too. It's like mm-hmm. 9.1 inches by 11.6 inches. Okay. Uh, it has micro perforated sheets. The front side of each sheet features a subtle light gray graph print, while the back side is just blank. And I use uh, a variety of different pens on you know in here, and none of them ink through to the back end, so I can use both nice. the front end and the back end of this notebook. Nice. And now the thing, this is so hard to find though. This Maro, the Maroman Menasine N one eighty notebook is not something you can buy on Amazon. So I, I actually went out to a different website called jetpens.com where you can actually get it. You can nice. order it there. Nice. Yeah. Highly recommend it, though. Very cool. Very cool. I have to check that out. I'm actually recommending a book. Uh, I'm actually listening to the audio version through Audible, but uh, you could pick up the print, obviously. Uh, but it's called Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. Those that are listening might be interested in this because this is uh, covers the rise and the fall of Theranos, which was the oh. uh, multi-billion-dollar uh, biotech fraud startup that was headed by Elizabeth Holmes, and so she was the one. If if you remember, dropped out of Stanford, uh, was the youngest female billionaire ever at like twenty, I don't know, thirty or something like that. She started this company when she was nineteen. And the short of it is, is this Theranos uh, system was one that, you know, would take blood samples like in your home and you could run it through in perfect segue here for telemedicine, but you run it through this little machine and it, it diagnoses and, you know, reads blood samples from a very tiny amount. Turns out it was all a sham in vaporware. They had to deal with Walgreens, uh, just all kinds of, it's, it's unbelievable. But anyway, the wow. rumor is, or apparently there is a film version in the works uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence. And if you look up Jennifer Lawrence uh, and Elizabeth Holmes, that's, that's actually pretty good casting just from, uh, they, they look similar. Uh, but anyway, she was a big uh, Steve Jobs uh, wannabe. It's fascinating. Now, I will say there are a lot of people 
And so you almost need a whiteboard to like keep up with uh, who's who and who's where and who's what and because they fire so many people. But um, anyway, it's really fascinating. Uh, just the story of Theranos, which actually is still a functioning company. Yeah, this is fascinating. I heard about this book and now I'm going to have to go get this book and read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that's uh, that is my recommendation. It is. It is a crazy. Nice. I mean, it reads like a fiction novel. I mean, it's it's crazy. Well, there you go. Good episode as always. Appreciate the uh, support. And uh, again, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, Let us know where you're going to be. Love all the interaction online. We've gotten several show uh, recommendations uh, as far as topics go here as of late, which is great. So we've put those in the hopper and are working on those. Uh, Special thanks to uh, the individuals that have passed those along. Yeah. So another great episode. 80 episodes. Uh, under our belt, let's do an let's do eighty more at least. What do you think? There you go. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and uh, have a great week. And we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.